hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we view the Star Trek franchise from a non-Trekkie perspective. I'm Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt. Hello. And Paul. Hello. And we are also joined by a returning guest. He was first on with us early on in the days of the Spotlight at the Movies, Fred, which we're returning to today, where we analyse a film featuring a major member of Star Trek alumni, either in front or behind the camera. He joined us for Inner Space, back when we could actually meet up in physical form at the Empire Magazine offices. It is Nick DeSemlin. Hello, sir. Hey, I am I am so happy to be here with you guys talking about National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon Part 1. I can't believe it's taken you guys this long to get around to this one. But um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me back. It's an absolute pleasure, mate. It was really good to have you last time with Inner Space. Nick, for people who don't know, I'm sure most people who listen to this podcast know who you are, but who are you and what do you do? These are great questions. I ask myself these a couple of times a day. Um, I am a deputy editor at Empire Magazine, where I've been for 16 years, and they haven't managed to catch me and throw me out yet. And uh, I've also written a book called Wild and Crazy Guys about uh, 80s comedy legends. And yeah, that is that is pretty much who I am and what I do. Of course, Nick, between the last time we recorded an episode and this one is when you have become deputy editor of Empire Magazine and also published your book. Because I remember the last time that you were on, you were talking about writing Wild and Crazy Guys and it was kind of incoming and hadn't actually arrived yet. Uh, So in between Inner Space and this, those have both happened because, of course, you became acting editor of Empire literally just as the pandemic hit, basically. I remember we actually, me and Matt, ran into you um, on the night of our last ever in-person Spotlight recording. Uh, wow. where we come up to the Empire Podcast Studios to record with James Dyer an episode. And it's the last time we recorded an episode in person. I remember, last time you've been outside, Liam, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been locked up ever since then. <laughs> I remember we bumped into you and we were sort of all kind of joking about the coronavirus a little bit. We were like, oh, yeah, it's a bit of a laugh. It's yeah, not, I'm pretty sure we shook deal, hands, right? We hugged. Yeah, there was a we lot of... We shook hands. Of, uh, and then suddenly you were like, oh, no! but you know that had just been announced how was that kind of taking over that position as that all happened oh i mean it was totally nuts you know that bit in jurassic park hey what that touch (laughs) i felt like that like i felt like somehow this had to do with me taking over like editorship (laughs) the whole world had like the whole of hollywood had broken yeah it was pretty intense i mean it was like two weeks into doing the job and i was already quite nervous and then everything all films got cancelled um, <laughs> my God. Yeah, that no must have more. felt like a monkey's paw situation. Just like, finally, I'm here, and then films are done. <laughs> yeah, it's like on the upside, there isn't that much work to do because we can't see any films. But on the downside, we still have to like make a magazine every month. So, yeah, it's been a weird old year, and it's been quite a ride. But with some cool stuff has happened during that time. The stuff that probably wouldn't have happened otherwise. So there's silver linings. Like Tom Hanks wrote us an essay while he was in quarantine. And uh, I got to talk to James Cameron for no particular reason. But I, I think everyone being kind of trapped at home... They all had a bit more ended, spare time suddenly. Ended, yeah, ended up like getting us some, some cool stuff. So it hasn't been a complete nightmare, but it's definitely been very, very stressful uh, I suppose it was still that great moment where you actually... I, I presume you had a, a box of your book delivered to your house and you opened it up and you turned to somebody you love and said, look, it's like I've always said, 
if you put your mind to it, you're going to accomplish anything <laughs> as you handed them a copy of your book. Is that what happened? Yeah, I've actually just had more copies of my book arrived yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to, they're obviously like trying to get rid of like leftover hardbacks. So I've just been like sent about 50, which so everyone I know is getting a copy this Christmas and that's going to be terrible times all around. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice having, having a, having something you can hold after like some years of work and I'm in the middle of doing my next one as well. So that's some good motivation for that. It is not going to be terrible times, Nick, because I should say that I have read Wild and Crazy Guys and it is a genuinely a really brilliant book, like proper oh. addictive as well in terms of like once I start reading, it was one of those ones you genuinely couldn't put down. You did sort of whiz through it because it's just so entertaining and it kind of moves at a really good pace through, especially as, you know, to be completely honest, like, don't get me wrong, obviously I'm a film fan. There's films that these guys have been involved with that I fucking love. Ghostbusters, The Blues Brothers, stuff like that. But I'm not uh, I'm not a massive aficionado of kind of that Saturday Night Live era crew or anything like that. You know, I don't hero worship them or anything. And so going in, you know, I was interested to read it, but I wasn't actually expecting to get that hooked. And that is through the good writing of the book at the end of the day. Oh, that's really nice of you to say. Thank you. You guys were super encouraging. I remember I was still writing it when I came in last time and did the podcast and you guys were really, really great and really encouraging. So I appreciate that. And and it's just really nice to have it out in the world. It is a really amazing kind of magical thing because when you're writing it, you're just holding it close to your chest and no one is kind of looking at it. And then uh, it's out and... Yeah, it was weird. Like Alison Brie on a podcast said she was listening to the audiobook. <laughs> I was like, what? It doesn't make any sense to me. Johnny Galecki posted an Instagram post about it. It's um, so just it's been it's been crazy, but it was hard work. But it's, it's awesome having Do an you album. have a specific memory of like the first review coming in. There must be a point where, like you say, it was so close to you and then suddenly it was out there. I guess the first instance of somebody saying, I've read it. Here's what I think. Was there one of those that stuck with you, either good or well, hopefully good? Yeah, it was uh, Sunday. The Sunday Times's book of the week, which was amazing, especially That's as the amazing. new James wow. Elroy was out the same week. So I was like, I've been yeah, James Elroy. <laughs> he's, he's richer. He's more intelligent. He's got more films made of him. Um, but yeah, I managed to beat him on that one occasion. But Hadley Freeman wrote a really nice thing for the Guardian. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice. Yeah. Private Eye gave it a really terrible review. So <laughs> That's obviously that's obviously the one oh, that stuck in my head. Yeah, Hislop. I bet it was him as well. It was, it was, it was some kind of made-up name, but um, yeah, the poison yeah. pen of Hislop. Right. He's <laughs> my old, but my old I, nemesis. I'd be, I'd be happy if Hadley Freeman's like thumbs up. She is totally the Venn diagram of exactly who would get the most out of that. Yeah, That's she's great. She's great. And also, this is the thing: your people in your industry judging you, isn't it? It's weird. I still don't believe anyone's actually read it. I keep thinking everyone's just making it up. Um, it's it's weird because you do. I don't know about other people, but I, I think writers are quite a self-critical breed and. Uh, definitely while I was writing it I was thinking oh is anyone gonna make it to the end of it like genuinely and I've got that again with this next one but I guess it just makes you try harder but I definitely uh didn't feel like yeah everyone's gonna love it it's uh I was I was super nervous so I was I was happy that it went down okay did you hear back from any well, of the this... any of the guys in the book like the subjects anyone's you interviewed for it or any of the big figures figures in there yeah, I, heard, I got a really lovely email from Rick Moranis because I thought I'd better send Rick Moranis because uh, I'd asked his permission to use yeah. uh, some leftover stuff that I had. So I, I emailed him and said, do you want the book? And he, he sent me a photo of, he had a copy and he was like, I just got this today because uh, his new girlfriend is working in publishing and she got him a copy uh, with a note saying, I hope you like it. So he sent me a photo of that and the note. And then he said, being an actor, I uh, read all the bits about me first. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that was that was kind of mind blowing that he, he'd read it and he was really nice about it. 
But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, you have chosen today National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. From out of the night comes two men with enough courage. <laughs> enough brains. What you got, Irv? Dandruff, seborrhea, maybe just dry, itchy scale. Have you tried this? I use it. Head and shoulders? Enough bullets. I know what you're thinking, punk. Did he fire 173 times or 174? To get the job done. Hey, Scotty! Can you get this machine to work? I'm giving it all she's got, Captain. If I push it any harder, the whole thing will blow. New Line Cinema presents... The Cop Movie to End All Cop Movies. Give me a name. Are your parents supposed to do that? Hey, hey, Sarge. It's tingling. That means it's working. Do you sleep in the nude? Only when I'm naked. They now never to screw with me. Wilderness girls. Just a big checkout. Come on, level with me. It's not bad. You'll be fine. You'll be back on your feet in no time. National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1. From 1993, uh, from the spotlight at the movies list, the Star Trek connections we have here are Whoopi Goldberg, William Shatner, and also James Doohan. Uh, who You're all... missing one. Huh? F. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Abraham. Well, I was going to get to it, but you know, the, the thing is, is with these, what I like to do is point out the big, the main Star Trek connections, and then... Bigger than F. Murray? You want to well, actor or what? Who is bigger than F. Murray? F. Murray Abraham, <laughs> who, of course, was the bad guy in Star Trek Insurrection. He's a big deal, but... Who can forget? Being the bad guy in Star Trek Insurrection would not be enough to get you on the spotlight of the movies list. Oh, that's course. ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, got, it doesn't again. matter because we've got Whoopi, we've got Are Shatner. you saying there's no Tom Hardy connections? No, no, there's no Tom... I mean, mate, you know I would love to just shove all of Tom Hardy's... Yeah, I just hope we haven't done Tom Hardy every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bron Bronson light every single episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we've got lots and lots of Star Trek connections with this one. Not quite as many as the page master <laughs> uh, but this is this is pretty good you've got three big connections mm -hmm. there and we'll go into them more as we go on but this is 1993 written by Don Holly his only ever screenplay although it was co-written with Gene Quintano uh, the genius behind the screenplays for Police Academy 3 back in training and Police Academy 4 Citizens on Patrol now, of course, on this podcast, we covered Police Academy 5, Assignment on Miami Beach, just a couple of episodes ago. And I should say, on the poster of Loaded Weapon 1, there's lots of fake awards that the film has won. And one of these is Best Overworked Plot Since Police Academy 5. So they obviously knew... <laughs> it's a the slight dig there. Yeah, they obviously knew the connection Gene was like, well, I didn't write the script for 5. 
that's where it all went downhill. We can say yeah. it's, it's okay. He got his revenge. He got, I mean, Jim Quintano, what a, what a name, what a legend, what a filmography. Like, this is the guy who also wrote Sudden Death, the Van Damme, um, oh. Die Hard, and Ice Hockey games. Genuinely uh, a great film. I, well, mm, let me downgrade that. <laughs> genuinely fun film. Yeah, it's genuinely almost, it might not be, uh, <laughs> in which Powers Booth threatens a young girl that he's going to put spiders in her mouth, which must be a Jean Quintano. Uh, did he write it? Did he write um, uh, yeah, Sudden he Death? Wrote, he, yeah, he wrote Sudden Correct. Death. He wrote Sudden yeah, Death. He so does direct as well, but he wrote he wrote Sudden Death. Yeah, that's a line that's just stuck in my head. I've even talked to Powers Booth about it, just that, that very strange threat to put spiders in a, in a ch- young child's mouth. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine Powers Booth, I mean, with that voice saying it. I mean, that's worth the price of admission Yeah, he could threaten line. me of anything, and it would be that's like, well, oh, I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe that you've actually read Don Holly's book, haven't you? Red is maybe not the technical term. I, I, I skimmed it about half an hour ago. <laughs> uh, I, was, I, I don't know. I just I started looking, doing a bit of research on the film, and and uh, I realised that Don Holly, this is literally his only credit. Like he only credit, doesn't, yeah. he hasn't done any other film. And so I, I started delving into the Hollyverse and uh, found that he'd written a book called Half Loaded, which um, has got a big sort of from the writer of Loaded Weapon on it, and it's called Half Loaded. So you'd, you'd think there'd be full of anecdotes about Loaded Weapon, but there's about four sentences in the whole book. <laughs> and um, he, What's it's it about strange. then? He hasn't done anything yeah, is it just like a memoir thing? <laughs> it's sort of just musings about his life and philosophy, and there's some poetry in there. Um, oh, jeez. Yeah. Nobody wants to hear about yeah. Loaded Weapon. I'll talk about my poetry. Yeah. <laughs> But he does, uh, he does explain how Loaded Weapon came to be, which I thought uh, there isn't that much out there about this film, so I don't know if you guys know this story. Well, isn't he was it working in a cinema. was going to be an epi- uh, a movie of Sledgehammer, the series? Really? I know, he didn't say that. I think I read that somewhere, that it was meant to be originally uh, a Sledgehammer movie, which is something I only recently started checking out. I can't remember why. I think it was after a Spotlight the Movies we did. Maybe the Miami Beach one, where we started talking other cop spoof stuff. And I kind of found out about the show, you know, from the 80s for the first time. And there's whole episodes up on YouTube and I've seen like two or three. And it's really funny kind of cop running rogue of a giant gun fetish spoofery. Well, miss, I was in this store when two thugs entered and threatened the owner with shotguns. At that time, I drew my magnum and killed them both. And then I bought some eggs and some milk and some of those little cocktail weenies. Inspector Hammer, was what you did in the store absolutely necessary? Oh, yes. I had no groceries at all. And apparently this may have started out intending to be that. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but it feels oh, like it is. You mentioned this to us, didn't you? I think you sent us a link. Yeah, I was like, check this out, because it's genuinely, like, really funny kind of spoof TV. Who made that? Um, Christ, let me have a look. Keep chatting. Can we talk a bit about, uh, while, while Matt looks that up, about National Lampoons, mm. like, and the fact yeah. that they're still using the title, or that in the title, as, as a selling point, like in 93. So I presume you kind of covered National Lampoon in your book a bit because of course there was some National Lampoon Chevy Chase action there like in its heyday but by this time I'm reading a bit about it the magazine is pretty dead by 89 and it just seems bizarre why it would be resurrected to be fronting this film do, do you know anything about that? Not really no I mean I, I kind of know the National Lampoon story up to the 80s but you're right by the 90s I, don't, it, I can't well, think of any good National Lampoon films even the, the vacation movies have gone off the boil and um oh. Vegas is the best one. Vegas is the best one. <laughs> Paul will that's a hot take. go to bat for Vegas That's my, hot, that's my hot take. That's red hot. The, the Vegas the vacation movie is, is Vegas is my favourite. Um, I, I don't like any of them, but like that's the best one. 
for me. Well, Tim Matheson was part of the hostile takeover in the late 80s of the National Lampoon magazine because it had been like sort of run to the ground in the mid 80s by, uh, I think, a family that just fired all the all the staff that were still left. It stopped being the factory that produced people like John Hughes and other writers in the late 70s when uh, you know, you've got Animal House launched under its banner. And that means one more slip up, one more mistake. And this fraternity of yours has had it at favor. Well, that was pleasant. Nice of him to stop by, don't you think? We've got to do something. He's serious this time. I think he knows about the exams. He's right. You're right. We got to do something. Absolutely. You know what we got to do? Toga, toga party. party. We run double secret probation, whatever that is. We can't afford to have a toga party. You guys up for a toga party? Toga! Toga! Yeah, I think they like the idea, Hoof. Oh, Otter, please don't do this. We got news for you, pal. They're going to nail us no matter what we do. So we might as well have a good time. Toga! Subsequently, you've got Class Reunion, which is John Hughes' writing debut. And I kind of just want to see it for that reason. I don't know if you've checked out, Nick, if it's worth a look. No, I don't know that one. I've not checked that one out. But just to give a bit of context, I just looked it up and uh, this came straight after Christmas Vacation, which is one of the best National Lampoon movies. To be jolly, la 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 After vacationing across America and throughout Europe... Take it, Russ! This holiday season, the Griswolds are going to play it safe. Clark, we're stuck under a truck! Oops. They're staying at home. I give you the Griswold family Christmas tree. Hope you're not getting sap all over your sweater, Clark. All Clark wants is a quiet, old-fashioned Christmas. Sorry. Got a little knot here. Do work on that. What he's going to get is the gift that keeps on living. Merry Christmas. His family. We didn't come to impose. <laughs> oh, hell, there's plenty of room. Do you sleep with your brother? Do you know how sick and twisted that is, Mom? Well, I'm sleeping with your father. Have you got a kiss for me? <laughs> eh, you better take a rain check on that, Art. He's got a lip fungus they ain't identified yet. But no holiday could ever be more deeply touching. We were gonna call, but... Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. If I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> ah, we're really gonna fly down the hill with this stuff. So genuinely moving. Can I refill your eggnog for you? Drive you out to the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead. More truly uplifting. Can I show you something? I was just blouse browsing. Or more down to earth. Merry Christmas! If Santa is smart, he'll stay well clear of this joint. It's a death trap. Then Christmas with the Griswolds. Everybody come out quick, look at the lights! They want you to say grace. I pledge allegiance to the flag. The United States of America. This year, let Chevy Chase light up your holidays. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. To give a taste of how off the boil it went in the 90s, so these are some of the other National Lampoon films in the 90s. Senior Trip. People think that we're nothing but a generation of losers. Sitting on our butts, playing video games and watching MTV. That's not true! National Lampoon's Senior Trip. Let's party! 
the seniors of Fairmont High are on their way to Washington. Come on, hop in. Let's do some band damage. Golf punks and Jake's Booty Call. National Lampoon's Jake's Booty Call. His name is Jake. He was conceived on the internet. He has over 30 million fans, 33 webisodes. And he's been downloaded 15 million times. Cheesy! Father, they've made a new friend named Jake. Remember, son, you become king in one week. Let me get this straight. You're gonna be king. You got a plane and a yacht, and you can't get laid. You gotta live a little. Join Jake and his buds on their extraordinary journey. I need to get laid first. As they save the world. Okay, as they make it. I give you a happy ending. Around the world in the freshest animation feature ever imagined. When booty calls. Swimming in the so but it ended it ended with uh Van so this Wilder, was like ryan reynolds which is quite a way to go out though actually because yeah. i think of what i hear that's sort of a bit like not another team movie actually not a an altogether too bad entry what van wilder yeah i remember it being quite entertaining uh, i mean i've only seen the trailer but that it was one though that was enough meet the guy who me van wilder wilder van wilder g-l-a-d to meet you who puts the cool yeah Back into school. X equals six. Great work, man. Hey. This summer. I'm doing a human interest piece on you. I'd love for your piece to be on me. If you want to get wild. Get wilder. Everybody wants to have a party thrown by Van Wilder, the party liaison. Well, that's the era. Oh, right, liaison, mate. <laughs> when Ryan Reynolds is just annoying as fucking shit. Like back then. There's a certain point where Ryan Reynolds seemed to transform from being incredibly, insufferably annoying to funny and charming. Blade Trinity, I remember seeing, and he's like the worst person ever in that film. Like, so <laughs> incredibly infuriating. Well, I know, I think I think Cripes at Snipes was the worst thing in that film, wasn't he? Like, you know, I thought he was insufferable <laughs> making that film. But... Oh, poor, poor Snipes, poor Snipes. Blade, ready to die. I was born ready, motherfucker. Matt, did you find out about Sledgehammer? Yeah, so Sledgehammer, it ran for two seasons between 86 and 88, and it's from Alan Spencer. And he originally wrote the pilot script in the 70s as a parody of Dirty Harry. And funnily enough, it wasn't until the success of Sudden Impact that networks began showing an interest in that. And it kind of fits. If it, if, if Loaded Weapon was meant to be a Sledgehammer movie, it kind of fits, because... The uh, Emilio character is very much the Sledgehammer character of kind of like this idiotic cop running around with a gun, who in Sledgehammer was played by David Rash. And yeah, from what yeah. I've seen, it's, Rash. it's hilarious. And well, it feels like that could very well have fit in. Well, there's no mention of that in, in Dan Holly's book, but then he doesn't mention much, so who knows. Um, <laughs> his take on it is he was an unknown guy, hadn't done anything, saw Lethal Weapon, started writing a spoof of it on his own and then had no connections and he was in LA working at a cinema and he was like a sort of general manager in the cinema and one of the ushers was a little kid and we can't have been that little we wouldn't have been working but let's say a teenager <laughs> and the teenager was like oh what do you do and he goes oh I do this but I, I write scripts as well and the kid was like give me some of them and I'll give them to my dad and he was like all right can't hurt and he didn't know who the guy's dad was. The guy's dad ran uh, one of the big studios. I can't remember which one now. And that's how he got his first meeting. And then they basically made the film off the back of that. 
Jesus. Wow. But yeah, the, the sledgehammer thing, Matt, I've got a feeling that it was originally meant to be a sledgehammer film and then the creator of sledgehammer said, no, I don't want any involvement because he didn't he didn't like the look of it. Something yeah, yeah, that's lines, it. Yeah, I, I just found IMDb trivia on Loaded Weapon about that and that's what it says. So yeah, whether that's true. But yeah, it was originally meant to be sledgehammer movie cause and spencer had a deal with new line to produce a movie but he hated all the scripts that were handed to him because they didn't meet the show's plot or tone and so he severed ties shortly after that so i think once that was out the door it was probably let's just go on ahead there's enough to kind of spoof here to uh yeah. carry on yeah Can we do a brief <laughs> synopsis because it won't take very long yes go on paul yeah, if you've yeah. Got one. so so Loaded Weapon 1 is a spoof of the Lethal Weapon franchise and other action movies of the late 80s and early 90s the plot revolves around two LA cops who are mismatched, who are thrown together to investigate a case where a police informant is killed. And that's because they had just undercovered the secret to a process which turns cocaine into cookies to be able to sell them to the mass market. That cookies organization is run by an evil general who's one of those crazy ex-military types, played by William Shatner. Pretty much all we need to know. That's, that's <laughs> general Mortars. General Mortars, who I got confused. I thought it was going to be General Rancor, like, but that's uh, Spy Hard. Oh, <laughs> and right. it took me to, took me to this year to realise what the joke was for General Rancor because I was like, as a kid, like, what, like the Rancor from Jedi? Uh, but like, uh, no, just General Rancor. Like, I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Spy Hard. Is it worth watching? Oh, no. <laughs> yes, I love Spy Hard. Is uh, I talk about Spy Hard quite a lot because it's, it's maybe the most I've ever laughed at a film <laughs> cinema. Whoa. I don't know what was wrong with me, but the the opening 10 minutes just absolutely destroyed me. Um, I don't know why. Leslie Nielsen is... Let me guess. You are Dick Steele. Agent WD-40. Tell me about you. Well, I like loose-fitting clothes, and I drive a 69 Pinto. He's on a mission so secret... That's a very powerful (laughs) flamethrower. Even he doesn't know what he's doing. He'll have to step into the line of fire. Back in the car! In the year's biggest cliffhanger. To rid the world of Andy Griffith. I'm back, big as life and twice as ugly. Hollywood Pictures presents... The mother of all secret agents. In a movie with all the action. All the women. And half the intelligence. I have decided I love you. But what about my father? I like him. I just have to get to know him better. Spy Hard. He's got a license to spill. So it's basically like a Bond film. So it starts with an action scene involving Mr. T and Leslie Nielsen skydiving and obviously doing funny stuff. I can't remember the specifics, but it really made me laugh. And then it goes into a weird Al Yankovic spoof of a Bond credit sequence <laughs> where he's doing stuff with silhouettes. <laughs> it's, is it I, the Suckers? It's not, is it? Oh, good no, question. No, it's the Suckers. It's the, it's the Suckers. The, 
There's definitely films with a certain tone, and, and these spoof films kind of they can get close if they do it right, where it almost doesn't matter how silly the comedy is. If it, if it tickles you, it's that kind of laughter where I'm gone, I'm in this, and I'm going to keep laughing through the whole thing. So it sounds like that's what happened with Nick there. <laughs> it's like if yeah. it gets you in uh, early and I, gets you laughing enough, then you can't stop. I saw this film at the right age. Like Matt, like I know you guys, this is uh, for Matt and Liam, this is a first time view, but for me, this is a fourth time view at least. Oh, wow. Because this, this was a, like a Friday night classic that when it would come on ITV or something, uh, and my dad and I would laugh long. And I, I, you know, as sort of eight, nine, ten years old, this is absolutely hilarious. And there are plenty of bits I didn't get then, which I'm getting now, which I'm enjoying. Well, it is funny because obviously we talked about the kind of the origins of the film with the sledgehammer thing and everything like that. And for me, yeah, I, it's completely obvious that it's not based on anything else because this is this is very clearly a spoof of the lethal weapon franchise primarily. I mean, it's kind of relatable to something like Scary Movie, I would say, in terms of it is clearly a spoof of one particular franchise, although that they do spoof other little bits from other films. It's meant to be specifically the Lethal Weapon franchise. Mostly part one, Lethal Weapon, uh, with a sprinkling of two. And three. And with, like, and with three with uh, Pesci's like, blonde hair on John Lovitz, I think. Is, well, is lethal, else the Lethal Weapon 3 thing is when they're comparing all of their scars. Because oh, obviously yep, yep, that's yeah. Mel Gibson and Rene Russo who do that in Lethal Weapon 3 and they kind of do a spoof of that here, which is one of the funnier scenes in the film, I think. But it's some really random wounds. <laughs> it's got, he hasn't got like a heart or so. He's like a hamster <laughs> in a wheel instead. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's very funny. That really but, made me laugh. That really yeah, made me laugh. I think it's really funny, that scene. Um, so this actually opens and you know with a supermarket shootout, which I was like, this. Funnily enough, we we're talking about it spoofing mostly lethal weapon, but I thought surely the touchstone here is Cobra. Cobra, yes, it is. Yeah. I thought Cobra. There wasn't enough yeah. Pepsi product placement. I thought they they should have. <laughs> <laughs> they could have done some fun product placement stuff. They they, they didn't, but they, they could have gone for that. Yeah, and especially as one of those fake awards on that poster is best product placement. So they really should have yeah, gone for something like that. It's the wilderness cookie. Oh, it's wilderness cookies. Is that a real thing, or is that made up for the film? They really went. They really went to town on real Girl Scouts of America, but I doubt mm, they got the, right. the right. It's just to quite use a it, random yeah. sort of name because it's not quite a joke. Wilderness cookies, but it sort of sounds quite plausible. But they really went to town on the cookie. I wonder if it was like a Spinal Tap situation. You know, with the the entrance to the building where they've got a cookie yes. that is way yeah, too, yeah, yeah. way too big. And I thought, is this a Spinal Tap thing where someone's got the measurements wrong? <laughs> <laughs> just looks too big to be just hanging above the door. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine any actual cookie company saying, yes, you can use our name when they're talking about cocaine in the cookies and everything like that, to be completely honest. Well, there's a, there's a good line. It's like, no, no, I can't stop eating them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it opens with this supermarket shootout where Emilio Estevez, who plays kind of the Riggs cipher in the film, completely destroys the store in the process of this shootout, which is a funny opening. Uh, he, he leaves the store as it's completely decimated, being like, don't feel the need to thank me. <laughs> well, the bit that tickled me as a kid was where he's sort of reading magazines and all of the supplements are falling out on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and the payoff is just him wading out of a pile, goes up to his knees. It was terrific. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great gag. And and it's the first of quite a lot of jokes in this film that get little payoffs down the line. Like, yeah. they don't just do a joke and then 
become something else. Like they'll remember it, and then a minute later they'll do a little payoff for it. That's quite yeah, nice. That layer. That, that's it. It's kind of like the, where the payoff is almost the the joke that has the least amount of attention on it. Because with that leaflet gag, it's kind of like, oh, there's a whole ton of them in there, and that's funny. And then they just keep on coming. That's funny. And then the final reveal that he's standing in a pile of them is kind of like if you're not paying attention or remember that joke at that point you kind of it's not for you you've missed it maybe but that's the the kicker of it and there are a few mm. of that where the big payoff is kind of like either a few minutes down the line or it's very much just a visual thing now like we've moved on but the payoff is in the background still and i love those because it's like that confidence of saying we're going to have the biggest payoff part to this this gag routine as throwaway yeah. as we can almost <laughs> Dan, Dan Holly in his book does complain that they change the payoffs. So the setups for his jokes are in there, but then they change the rest of the joke, um, which is, I don't know, maybe those are Gene Quintana payoffs, but, classic Quintana payoffs. But unless he actually didn't tell you what his original was, so we have no way of knowing, do He's we? Like, well, mine were better. <laughs> yeah, just, just I can assure you, I will give you no proof of the fact. <laughs> um, so we actually, the first time we hear Samuel Jackson's Murtagh replacement in this is via an answer message. You've reached the desk of Sergeant Wes Luger. Please leave a message after the beep. Yeah, Wes, it's me, Billy. Hey. I said after the beep. Excuse me. And this is where we introduce Whoopi Goldberg, who's our first Star Trek connection in the film. Whoopi was having a good year in 1993 because it's her last episode of Star Trek Next Generation that she actually appears in, aired in 1993, which is Suspicions from season six. Now, I haven't seen that. I don't know whether Guinan gets properly written out at all. Do you know that, Paul? Well, because she's in Generations. I know, I know. But obviously, season six was the penultimate season. And she doesn't appear yeah, again. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know okay. why. It must be scheduling. Why okay. she didn't come back. Because, yeah, when I looked at the plot description, she wasn't mentioned at all. So it <laughs> doesn't give her a big, like, send-off or anything. But at the end of the day, I think the reason she probably couldn't appear was, as you say, scheduling. Because she was having a big old time. This is kind of the height of Whoopi film stardom at least, because she's in Made in America, which is basically where she finds out her father was a sperm donor, and that sperm donor was Ted Danson. And the tagline to the film is, at the sperm bank, she asked for a tall, intelligent black man. One out of three ain't bad. That's, that's a good, that is a great tagline. I'm, I'm sold, personally. It's a tagline. Uh, it's a tagline. So I'm the product of a one-night stand. No, I was artificially inseminated. Well, it was a sperm bank. That is undignified. Yes, yes, I bought the sperm. I asked for the best they had. You know, black, smart, not too tall. Hello there, can I help you? Hi, I'm looking for uh, Hal Jackson. Well, look no further. Halbert Jackson? The one and only. You're white. <laughs> Wait a minute, what, what do you mean, white? He's like, like white, white? White, white, white. You mean he's like a, like a creamy eggshell kind of tan? Yes! He's so like my, he is a white guy. I'll be darned. What do you mean he's white? Rap, rap, rap. It's Hal Jackson. This is Hal Jackson from Jackson Motors. You mean the schmuck on the television with all the animals? And this is Larry. How's your pal? <laughs> uh -uh. My dad. 
No, this is not a mix-up. A mix-up is when you order hamburger and cheeseburger. I'll bet you $100 I can nail the next person to walk through that door. Hey there, I'm Al Jackson. What I'm talking about is a major mistake in my life. Has anyone seen Made wow. in America? <laughs> no. No. I mean, I'm always up for some dancing at the end of the day. You could do a double so bill with uh, Made in Manhattan, the Jennifer Lopez film. Oh, wow. Is that a good, yeah, that yeah, a good yeah. double bill? I don't know. <laughs> Probably, probably not, but I am going to do some more dancing because Sam Clements of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest podcast very kindly sent me his season one box set of Cheers this week. So I will be dipping in some more dancing soon. But she was also this year in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, which is probably, that's probably Whoopi's biggest film role, isn't it? The Sister Act movies. Hmm. People are not enthusiastic about the sister act. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not enthusiastic about them, but um, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, there's Theodore Rex, I think you're forgetting conveniently. The, one where, the movie where she teams up, she's a cop who teams up with a T-Rex. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, I, I remember well, this. No, I, think I, have, I, haven't, I haven't checked the box office. It doesn't get bigger than Ghost, Best Supporting Actress. That is true. Yeah, that is a, that is a good point. I mean, I suppose she's supporting in that. I think for, I, you know, and Ghost isn't not just a sleeper hit. That is like yeah. everywhere. That like was that giant. Yeah, that was giant. Yeah, Swayze, yeah, yeah. Swayze, Swayze, Bamman. So I suppose best. Uh, so leading I would say Sister Act's like leading, 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 leading role. Yeah, still isn't it? Still like being talked about because everything that's made between 1990 and 1996 is in vogue at the moment. Yeah, um, it's the nostalgia. For better or worse. Plus, I'm pretty sure Sister Act's had a Broadway musical by now. Yeah, pretty Hocus Pocus sure. is coming back. Sister Act's coming back. Yeah, Home Alone's exactly, going to be rebooted. Exactly. And she was also and Space Jam fucking jam. <laughs> no, too. Getting, let's not get into Space Jam again. Um, <laughs> she was also in a Scorsese produced film in 1993, Naked in New York, which I've never heard of, but Marty mm. produced it, who just celebrated his birthday the other day. So she had a big year in 1993. So this is just one of many appearances for her because she's obviously, it's a reasonably, I suppose it, it's a cameo really in this film, isn't it? Yeah, it's a very yeah. funny appearance. She was, and, uh, she was unbilled, I believe. Like, they didn't put her name, they didn't announce that she was in it when the film came out, so it was like a surprise. I think you're right. I think there's a few uncredited mm. cameos in this film. So Tim Curry, a big shout-out to him. He was having a, a, an amazing run here. I do think he is the funniest in Home Alone 2, though, as the manager of the hotel. Saw wouldn't take your stolen credit card. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Home Alone 2, as you can imagine, with my Home Alone hatred, which we shouldn't yeah, go Home into. Home Alone phobia. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the one with you Donald Trump. the Home Alone. Yeah, that's the yeah. one with Donald Trump in, so that, that yeah. is, you know what, yeah. They should release a non-Donald Trump cut of that film, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think they I mean, do on ITV. Like, uh, they do CGI jabbering instead, it's like, there you go. Yes, yes. <laughs> Look the same. But special edition. Yeah. Curry here in, uh, you know, in classic Curry fashion is in drag as a wilderness cookie girl. So basically a girl scouts of America. I mean, uh, when he saw him skipping up the steps, he's really worked on those legs. Like, I think he's been starving himself for weeks to get <laughs> such thin legs. <laughs> I should say, right, that my wife is currently in the other room watching Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, where Tim Curry provides the voice of the bad guy. So this is proper, this is Curry night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she watching Fern Gully next door? Uh, oh, well, you'd have to ask her back here. Right? To be, to be Nobody knows. I've never yeah, yeah, seen. Well, she's she watching it right now, and you're not kicking the door down and saving her. 
Well, she did. We were talking about obviously when we did the Page Master, which you know was a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> David Chumble, who came on the show, picked the Page Master. The reason he picked it is obviously he watched it as a child, and it was hugely nostalgic about it. And then when he saw it again, and it kind of he's a story artist on major Hollywood animated movies now, and it sort of inspired him, you know, at the time. And now he went back and watched it. He was like, oh, actually, it's not that good. And I think <laughs> Eleanor was like, oh, maybe this is going to be my page master where I watch it and discover it wasn't that great after Has anybody all, watched but... Fern Gully and thought to themselves, maybe this will be my page master? <laughs> <laughs> you can always dream. Yeah, I, I mean, I was worried Loaded Weapon was not going to... I hadn't seen it for a long time, and I was amazed how much just triggered little memory, happy memories of little lines and little bits just made me feel... I, I, I Maybe I'm just nostalgic, but I, I feel like this film is genuinely funny. Mm. Yeah, I think there are some performers like Tim Curry who you just don't quite yeah. get anymore, who do these kind of roles and pop up in in this in this way, and he's oh. just so good here. Like, what you know, what accent is he doing? <laughs> this really is before Congo. Congo. This is before Congo because it feels like it's got some overlap with his sort of zinge. The <laughs> can I give him a shout out for Scary Movie Two as well, which he's fucking brilliant in. You can. Oh, yeah, my God. Gonna, I mean, don't give a shout out to Scary Movie Two. Don't try and point people <laughs> towards that film. Uh, but is, is he in Scary Movie 2? Yeah, it's superior to Scary Movie 1, I would say. Oh, my Lord. Paul. It's full of the hot takes <laughs> tonight. From the, makers of, from the makers of Spy Hard, I should point out. Oh, um, okay. well, there we go. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah Tim, Tim Curry is a massive part of why I picked this film. Like, I, he is so iconic and amazing in this role. Like, every single sentence he says, he mispronounces something in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could have played Clouseau, I think, if, you know, oh. if they'd done a reboot of Inspector Clouseau with Tim Curry, that would have been amazing, but... It's the way he says Miquafil, and um, <laughs> yeah. it's it's absolutely amazing. I think he probably has my favourite line in the film. Who the hell are you? I am your worst nightmare. No, waking up without my penis is my worst nightmare. Okay, all right. So I'm not your worst nightmare, but I'm right up there. <laughs> I'm lit up there. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. He's he's yeah. so good. I mean, I love Curry. He's got. I mean, you know, for Frank and Berta alone, at the end of the day, you got you got to love Curry. He's an amazing performer. This is his defining performance, though, for me. This is, this is, it doesn't get it doesn't get better than Mr. Jigsaw. Yeah, and what an introduction! Being seen through the fisheye lens of the peephole in a Girl Scouts uniform—it's like that's yeah. that, that's an image that doesn't leave you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's odd though, right? Because that character really doesn't feel like it's spoofing anything from Lethal Weapon or any like other film. Like, if you think about it, like Lethal Weapon had Busey in that role, but he's quite a cold psycho killer. And what is Curry doing? Like, did he did he sort of not get? briefed and he came up with this character on the way or he'd never seen the movies because it doesn't feel like it feels already in the second scene like it's going way off and it's not spoofing anything yeah i mean i saw he is the the, the boosy role isn't he which is which is weird really because especially this era he, he's essentially the henchman to william shatner's main villain and uh, i think this era you probably expect it to be Tim Curry, who would be the main baddie in this type of film, rather than Shatner in a lot of ways. No, I think if you're having the both, you would still pick Shatner as the main villain. I wanted more of him, actually. I, I, I wanted, yeah. I, he disappears in the second half, and I wanted a lot more Curry. Now, where is the Mikro film? 
the microfilm. One of the best scenes I think in the film comes up right after this, which is the uh, the crime scene film, where the the most amount of cliches they can spoof in the, in the minimum amount of time. It's absolutely chock full. It's almost like you have to watch it twice to pick up every little thing. I mean, I don't. Th I think three times to like get the depth of jokes in these in this scene. So we have a, a police academy alumni like making an appearance here as Samuel Jackson's uh, Wes Luger turns up to the crime scene where Whoopi Goldberg's been shot, and he's greeted by sort of the lieutenant on the on the spot. You might know his name, Liam. I'm not sure. Is it Proctor? In police academy, Proctor, he's in yes, this the film, Lickspittle yeah. for Harris, like uh, from Police Academy, is there, yes. and there's a running joke where he's giving him like grooming tips. But I think the funniest bit of this this sequence is uh, where you know you've got the the coroner who's lost their sense of humanity. So what are we looking at here, Doc? The worst dressed stiff I've ever seen. The stiff and I pounded a beat together for five years, so show some respect. I'm sorry, Wes. You know, I see so much of the senseless ma'am that sometimes I get a little insensitive. All right. This loser has taken the chicken shit way out and punched around ticket. <laughs> uh, it's that like definitely a suicide. But there's like, there's bullet holes everywhere. A whole place is desperate. It's like, yeah, definitely a suicide. <laughs> and, uh, well, it looks like it took her by surprise. <laughs> 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 It's really, really funny that scene. It's great. I think this is the scene which, because um, you sh you showed me this scene years ago, Paul, in isolation, and just went, "I'll oh, watch this scene. It's, it's hilarious." What? Uh, back I? when we lived together, and it is it is a great, great scene. Definitely, it's one of the funniest scenes in the film. I think you could pretty much piece the film together from like YouTube clips, and I think that's why I was definitely like going into. So yeah. That's another amazing gag in this sequence. There's also the, the crime scene photographer who's actually just a photographer and uh, sells it, sells Samuel Jackson like a, a print. Yeah, Matt or Glass. Ooh. <laughs> Matt, Matt. Good choice. I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the sign that just said, caution, wet blood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when we finally get to the actual police station itself, uh, that is when we get the cameo from our second Star Trek connection in the film, James Doohan, actually playing Scotty in the film, but this time operating the coffee machine, apparently, which is a very funny little gag. Man, like Scotty, like Doohan like goes in full tilt with his line, doesn't he? He yes. is brilliant. <laughs> like he owns the screen in that sec in those like five seconds he gets. Well, so I, I wondered how many coffees he'd had, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, he's maxed out. He's taken advantage. He's actually wearing a police uniform while he's doing it. And the way it looked like one of the old school, like 1940s beat cops, and I just thought of like a version of The Untouchables with James Doohan in the Sean Connery role would have been hilarious. <laughs> 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 We've got to do it the Edinburgh way. Like <laughs> I mean, I'm imagining that now. I can't. Yeah, I mean, that would be <laughs> yeah. amazing. Um, oh, as I said, what I did uh, earlier and what I do in all these episodes is basically frame where we were in our Star Trek Connections career at the time and James Doohan uh, I must admit he's not having quite as strong a year as Whoopi uh, to be completely <laughs> honest he, his big thing in 1993 was he also provided his voice for the Star Trek Judgment Rights video game um, and I've got to be honest this was also William Shatner's other big thing in this year as well <laughs> yes they're, they're not quite oh, did he not do Columbo that year or was it next year no it's 94 it's 94 when uh, he returns for his ah. second Columbo in 94 so he's got to wait a full year for that Columbo paycheck <laughs> yeah, I, I also think this is a great year for Frank McRae, who plays the uh, the Black Station Sergeant, which is a you know a stalwart of these movies, and he is also playing the same role the same year in Last Action Hero, 
where he's chewing out Arnold Schwarzenegger and there's steam coming out his ears and that kind of stuff. So yeah. he's he's definitely making a, a niche for himself here. Well, yeah. What I like about that is that he played that part in 48 Hours without... He played the serious version of it in 48 Hours, although that is a comedy technically, but he's playing it straight pretty much in that film. But that's what I like about this film is you get these actual action movie kind of guys turning up. Like Paul Gleason, the uh, the police chief from Die Hard, pops up in this. Um, yes. Well, yeah, it's an FBI totally guy, I think. Finger on the pulse. Like Even with the other spoof stuff, like, you know, there's the specific scenes where it spoofs Science of the Lambs and Basic Instinct. And these are films that were out like the year or two before this like so many of the more modern sort of spoof films they just randomly throw in like a 300 spoof now like 10 years after that yeah. was out but this is like you know you look at this and you think oh yeah it's the old science of the lambs bit but you know like basic instinct especially was literally 992 i think wasn't it so it's like oh, fresh oh, stuff yeah. to God. spoof on that science of the lambs spoof though the day player who plays the kind of guard who gives him the instructions uh who says you know like, you don't hand him anything don't give him any like uh, condiments and stay to the left and then that moment of pause, he goes, no, stay to the right, stay to the right. <laughs> like, he absolutely gives it everything. I love that guy. Uh, should be in more stuff. Yeah, what I love about this film is you've got really fucking good actors spoofing, like, you know, F. Murray Abraham is an Oscar-winning actor who could have played Hannibal Lecter in another universe. Samuel L. Jackson yeah. could have played Danny Glover's part in Leave a Weapon. You know, yeah. I just, this is the thing, you've got really, like, amazing actors. They're not goofing around. Yeah. That, I, thought F, I thought F. Murray Abraham, I was watching that scene and I thought, I, I want to watch Silence of the Lambs with F. Murray Abraham <laughs> doing it for real. Someone's got to do a face mash thing of it now, just so we can see. <laughs> I mean, it could be argued that he got the better role as the baddie in Star Trek Insurrection, let's be honest. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure he's happier with that. We were transported to the hollow ship when we reset our shields. Everything we saw was an illusion. Rawful authorization Delta-2-1, override all interlink commands to Injector Assembly-1. Unable to comply, Injector Assembly-1 has been deactivated. Paul, you mentioned Dennis Leary earlier, and of course he has a role in this film. Uh, introduced, is surrounded by singers, uh, one of whom is a 22-year-old Denise Richards in her big screen oh, debut. Spoken, and I, I, and I start my my mind also went away for another film, and not like the uh, James Dewan Untouchables. I had a a version of Star Is Born where William Shatner meets a young Denise Richards <laughs> on the set. And they basically have, was I going to make a star of you? Except what, in this version of Star is Born. Yeah, I made this up in my head. Like, and, and Except the twist ending is, of course, like his star continues to ascend at the end and she commits suicide. What? <laughs> I, I have Nobody questions. Outside. Star continues to be born. <laughs> yeah. I have questions. Have, was this a dream you had or did you write this? <laughs> I... I should I get? Should I get right? <laughs> it's all there. It's all there. But this is where we're introduced to William Shatner in this scene, where he kind of bursts in. So this is Shatner, the Tash years, as you say, uh, the year before his second appearance in Columbine, where he's also rocking a massive Tash. I think he was also at Noel's house party uh, around this time. The Shatner, Noel's house party. Yeah, like he did a, a video link bit uh, from New York. Oh. Uh, I remember this. He's basically playing a hot dog salesman on the streets of New York. And like he looks at the stars, he says, Onion Spuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I remember. So. Look at this. Oh, I can't visit New York and not have a hot dog. Excuse me. Uh, have you got a hot dog? Yes, I think I have one somewhere. Oh, here they are. <laughs> Where are you from, buddy? 
I was here all along, you just didn't see me. Where's home? Oh, Crinkly Bottom. Oh, a tourist. You know, it says in my paper that New York is a safer place than it's ever been. Could I see that paper? I'm sorry, it was stolen. Oh, right. But while I'm here, could you tell me, how long will it take me to walk from here to the subway? I don't know. Nobody's ever made it. But, hey, give it a try. You'll love New York. We have a saying here in New York that if a man is tired of New York, he's tired of living. Oh, really? Well, we have a saying as well. Uh, when a man is tired of crinkly bottom, he's not a bad judge. Well, that's life. Yeah, but not as we know it. I'm sorry? You said that's life, and I said, but not as we know it. That's my recollection of the conversation, too. Are you trying to be funny? Uh, not really, no. Meaningful, perhaps? Uh, no, 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 no. Have a good day. These people from Crinkly Bottom have a very strange sense of humor. Onions, sparkles. Do you remember that from the time, or is that on YouTube now? Yeah, I remember that from wow. the time. Wow, like, I can't remember that much of an impact. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this still so magical. I mean, Shatner in this film. Shatner in this film looks furious. Like I, he looks angry. Like I, I feel like there's stuff going on, like beyond the role. I don't know. He was emanating quite a lot of menace. What did you guys think? He's working so hard to like change his delivery style for this. Yeah, got like yeah, a lighter really, voice going on. Yeah, he's really given a performance that's uh, different to his. You know, he could just relax into his usual patter, but like he's he's delivering his lines a different way. Certainly, like you know, when they have the trading of the uh, sayings, so they bat sayings back and forth. Where's the microfilm? I don't know. When I gave it to York, I, I thought she was one of your men. Act in haste, repent in leisure. But he who hesitates is lost. Never judge a book by its cover. What you see is what you get. Loose lips sink ships. Life is very short, and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. Sorry, Mike, no good. Again, he's another one where the way he's playing it, you can imagine him being the actual yeah. bad guy in an action movie of this ilk. But because it's Shatner, he's kind of naturally funny enough to kind of just pull it off. Yeah. Oh, when he he gets he eats the piranha, he has the piranha in his teeth and then throws it out his, out his mouth and he just gives this look at his absolutely hilarious, just like eyeballing Leary. It's fantastic. <laughs> Somehow really threatening, even though he's got like a you know a plastic fish in his mouth. <laughs> but you're yeah, right, like because yeah. I reckon you know because of his persona, he probably could have walked into an actual spoof film and been like, yeah, have a bit of fun with your perceived persona here because it's kind of, you know, you're allowed, it's that type of film. And instead he's gone the other way and gone, I'm going to play it so, you know, not quite straight that I'm literally like the villain in a, this this type of film. There's still some humour in there, but it's like, it's definitely very, very controlled and very precise because he's still got some of the indentation in his, in his delivery, but the, the voice just kind of transforms him quite a bit. The moment where Samuel Jackson mm. confiscates loads of cops' weapons, that's a very funny moment and felt very police academy to me because he kind of almost, a Samuel at that point, uh, seems a bit Harris-like yeah. in that moment where he starts confiscating the weapons yeah. and then goes, one of them's making a joke and he said, oh, you think you're funny, huh? And then he starts performing like a full-on stand-up routine. I thought if this was police academy... It would be Harris confiscating the weapons, and then the guy mm. who performs a static routine would be Jones doing his funny voices. Everything like yeah, that was very... uh, Phil, yeah. Phil Hartman. Oh, is it Phil Hartman doing the stand-up set? Yeah. Oh wow, he really looks different there. 
Well, he sounds the same though. I was like, oh, there's Troy McClure. But it's, yeah, it's Phil Hartman and Corey <laughs> Feldman with cameos in Yes, I knew it was Corey scene, Feldman yeah. in that moment. Yeah, getting his uh, gun. Skip the right. Charlie Sheen moment as well. Like, I mean, they come so thick and fast. You've got Charlie Sheen as a valet uh, in there. And that was a, kind of the one missed opportunity in this film. I don't think their scene really had anything to it. Uh, except, as Nick pointed out quite rightly on Twitter, one of the best like payoffs to a gag in the background. <laughs> absolutely killed. So that, you know, the police station has a kind of like person describing their assailant and that somebody's making a, uh, a Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> and then later on you see Mr. Potato Head being arrested in the parking <laughs> lot. It's fantastic. But it's the thing I agree, Paul. He doesn't really... I thought this to the point that I actually rewound the scene and watched it again because I thought, have I missed something here with his kind of performance that kind of is make, meant to make it stand out. And it almost just seemed like, oh, we've got Charlie Sheen and Charlie Sheen and Emilio mm. in a scene together. Like, that's that's enough, isn't it? And of course... That's all I said. But, like, this is the thing. He's the... He's, you know, they're the king. That family, the king of, like, the inter-family cameo. Yes. In the same year, you have Hot Shots part, duh. And you have, like, Martin Sheen going by on a, on a PB, you know, speedboat from Pockets Now, crossing paths with his son. And they just both go, love Jim Wall Street. Well, this is a very interesting thing because, as they point out in the film, the Hot Shot series is going on at the same time, which starred Charlie Sheen. So, what do we think of Hot Shots and how do we think Loaded Weapon compares with Hot Shots? The Hot Shots duology. Should we just go like top spoofs of all time? So, everybody's personal opinions on this. Paul, you kick it off if you go do that. Well, I'm going to go Naked Gun is the top one for me. Probably followed by Airplane. And then third, probably Hot Shots 2. I love the Hot Shots too, yeah, and Hot then this one. Amazing. I've not, I can't say I've seen Hot Shots one enough times to sort of make it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all the Naked Gun films are pretty fucking good, really, aren't they? I, they're, they're, I don't think mm-hmm. any of them are bad. But it, controversially, with me, I actually prefer the Police Squad TV series to the Naked Gun films, and I think that would be my pick. <laughs> In many ways, I think the police squad uh, series. Uh, you can't pick it. It's got to be movies. It's got. So it's got okay. it? <laughs> uh, I suppose I'll probably say Naked Gun as well as a kind of placeholder for the police squad uh, TV series. <laughs> also, shout out to Top Secret. Top Secret. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Big thank shout you out to Top Secret. Yeah. Look. I'm not the first guy who fell in love with a girl he met in a restaurant who then turned out to be the daughter of a kidnapped scientist only to lose her to a childhood lover who she'd last seen on a deserted island and who turned out 15 years later to be the leader of the French underground. I know. It It all sounds like some bad movie. Got a girl named Daisy. She almost drove me crazy. Got a girl named Daisy. She almost drove me crazy. She walked me to the east. She walked me to the west. But she's the girl that I love best. So to the fruity, oh Rudy. Have you guys seen Fatal Instinct? No. Yes. <laughs> no. Yes, I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because that I came out. That came out the same year, and sounds like it should be a Basic Instinct spoof, but it's kind of not. <laughs> it's more Body Heat. Yeah, yeah. Because in Body Heat, there's the famous scene where she's in the house and touching herself all over. The guy gets so incensed. I think it's William Hurt, isn't it? In Body Heat, gets so incensed with sexual rage that he grabs the chair and like chucks it through the window just to get to her and ravish her. 
and in the one that you're talking about, the spoof one, the same thing is happening, but a guy, instead, he gets in, like, a lawnmower and, like, drives it through the window. <laughs> uh, that's, like, the funniest bit in the whole film, definitely. So we're, uh, we're saying that Fatal Instinct is number one? And yes. Then Spy Hard. <laughs> yeah. The number one best spoof of all time. Like, Nailed it. I haven't seen Top Secret or Spy Hard. I have seen the Hot Shots, but not for ages. But the one that kind of gets me now in, I guess, recent times, recent-ish times, is, of course, Black Dynamite. Oh! Which you can 100% say is, is, is up there. Yeah, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah, five spoons exactly. of Dynamite. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> it's the greatest. Uh, literally, thank God you say it, like, Yeah, because obviously it's Black Dynamite. Yeah, that's that's my favourite yeah. spoof of all time. All you suckers gather round. There's a brand new movie coming to town. So get on up and check the scene of the smoothest, baddest mother to ever hit the big screen. Main man, Black Dynamite. He's super cool and he no kung fu. <laughs> Drives a $5,000 car and wears a $100 suit. You're so righteous. This is also true. And when it comes to the ladies, he's out of sight. Uh, let me guess. You one of these brothers think you can get by on a wink and a smile, huh? What about the smile? I am smiling. Black Dynamite. Never in the history of the game has there been such devastation. The CIA needs Black Dynamite now more than ever. We need you, Black Dynamite, now more than ever. I thought I told you, Hunkins from the CIA, that Black Dynamite was out of the game. And he's better than Sham Superfly and the Mac put together. But when the mob kills his brother... Your death will not go on a bend. ...and put the dope on the street... It's my nephew, Bucky. He od He's back in the game and he's playing for keeps. Declaring war on anybody who sells drugs in our community. But Black Dynamite, I sell drugs in the community. He killed my best dealer. I want him dead now. So if you crave satisfaction, then dig this action. Guaranteed to put your ass in traction. Black, black, stack, attack, and match. Backtrack, slapjack, boot black, flashback, ram sack, jam pack, and still coming back. You see where I'm coming from, you child mother... Black Dynamite, starring all-star running back Ferrante Jones. Fashion model Tambula Takar, William T. Michelson, Ronnie Sinatra, Little Tiny Tibbs, Junebug, Bo Willie Peter, and me. That bad bull hunt. Black Dynamite! That has one of my favourite bits of music that plays every time he does so. Dynamite, dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Black Dynamite, Nick? Yeah, a while back, and I don't remember it that well, but now I want to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah, we, we saw a, a cinema screening of it, didn't we, Matt? Not too long ago. Well, yeah, yeah. COVID, obviously. Uh, at the Phoenix, just down the road from you, they had just go, we took the guys and Sun Double D to see it, and that was. Oh man, absolutely fantastic night out. That was such a good yeah. night because there was yeah. that group of people like a few rows ahead who were also, you could tell, big fans. And it was like an 11 p.m. Yeah. start, wasn't it? And it was just like that oh, dynamite back on the big screen. It's fantastic. Oh, fucking incredible. <laughs> Main man. Uh, Hot Fuzz, Fuzz we've got to give a shout out to Hot Fuzz if we're talking like cop, cop movie spoofs. That does mm-hmm. a pretty damn good job of it. Yeah, not that's, as, that's not as spoofy as this, but in a different way. 
I think Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz almost belong to a whole subsection of like straight genre spoofs where like they're good enough yes. on their own merit to actually be entertaining. Yet, yeah, they're like, legitimately a film in that genre, yeah. but also joking at it. Yeah, 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 definitely. Okay, so uh, this is kind of coming up to where we meet kind of essentially the femme fatale. When we're first introduced to her, uh, she's kind of, yeah, and this is, this is one of my least favourite jokes in the film. When we're first introduced to her, uh, it's meant to be a bit of, it's basically the joke is, oh, it's a, it's an ugly woman, isn't it? That's the joke. Uh, I've always, I've always knocked down with the, just the joke is, oh, she ugly. It's not, I'm just not down with it. I always I find that find really it. uncomfortable because I think of the actress is being cast to be the ugly person. I know, um, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. you could have so, done it with the same actress. I mean, the actual transformation gag is quite funny, where she says, "May I change before I go?" and then suddenly she's a completely different actress. <laughs> That is, that is quite a funny gag, but, you know, uh, apart from that. And I do like the way that um, Samuel Jackson's Detective Luger keeps getting called Detective Loser. That's <laughs> all the funniest running gags. I mean, it keeps coming up. I mean, it was really funny. And this is where we kind of have the basic instinct spoof, isn't it? Which, you know, so many films and TV shows were spoofing at the time. Yeah. They know? stole the beaver joke from Naked Gun. Like, that's the most brazen steal ever. Yeah. Like, doing the whole beaver thing. So I'd forgotten how they finished that scene. I was like, they've they got to build up to something. And uh, then it's the stuffed beaver. Yeah, and it's not as good as the Naked Gun joke either. So, but I think... Uh, in terms of like it's setting up for a much better like parody because the, the lighting in that sequence is amazing. I mean they've really approximated the uh, lighting mm. for Yander Bond. But, but you know, Kathy Island, just a quick word on her. She actually, do you guys know that she's like a massively successful businesswoman? Yes, I yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did she make her fortune in cookies? Well, she's she's like essentially the George Foreman of like underwear and things like that. So George Foreman of underwear. Yeah, four hundred fifty million dollars. Yeah, massive success because she was a like a fitness icon in the eighties. But then obviously she built upon that. She's obviously been very clever because she's not really actually in that many movies, is she? Overall, yeah. This is probably her biggest role, but she's perfectly good in this. This this is another scene that very much shows the Gene credentials as well. (laughs) End gag is pretty much just a lift from his Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol script, where she says, oh, kind of like, can anyone give me a ride home? And suddenly it cuts to all the cops, and they're already in their underwear, being like, oh, me, 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 me. <laughs> it's like exactly the same as the bit in Police Academy 4, where Callahan is in the... She leaps into the swimming pool, and of course her top gets kind of wet and see-through, and then she's like, who wants to save me? And then all the guys leave in the swimming pool. <laughs> That is classic Quintana. (laughs) (laughs) Textbook. Uh, Another one of my favourite lines is saying, I'm getting too old for this bike confiscated shit. Uh, I had to write that line down. I was like, that is a a gold line. They are into loads of Lethal Weapon sequel spoofing here because we have the Lethal Weapon 3 scene with them comparing wounds and then we have the kind of helicopter attack on the beach, which is where we get to the Bruce Willis cameo. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole podcast in this, in just this bit, I think. So David Willis was producing this film. Apparently he was uh, very tight with Quintana. And so he obviously got his brother Bruce involved. But there is, as I said, a third bonus Willis, who is Robert Willis. He's the he's another brother. And he apparently was a website designer and pops up in this film as Armani wearing cop. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got like just a whole Willis family reunion thing here. 
it's a Willis family dynasty production. And yeah, we get the impression that Willis is meant to actually be playing John McClane. That he's got the vest, you know. Yeah. He would be living in LA maybe at the time. But it's before he moves back to New York. In fact, we know the reason why he moves back to New York is like trailer gets destroyed. Uh, because in <laughs> two, Cannon, he's, he's an LA cop. Like, uh, in he's w- he's an LA cop in Die Hard 2. Yeah. They say, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, and he's a New York cop in 3. So this is the missing Die Hard 2.5. What the hell are you doing? Uh, this is uh, 1014 Pacific Coast Highway. Ah! 1014 Pacific Coast Highway. No! This is 814 Pacific Coast Highway. 1014 is two blocks up that way. Sorry, my mistake. Yeah. No problem. No problem. And it's just another edition of like his receding hairline of John McClane, which I love to see that it disappearing <laughs> in the sequels. <laughs> and this is directly in between Die Hard or Die Hard with a Vengeance, isn't it? Because it's 93. So it is yes, directly in the between. middle of those two films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why uh, you're right. This is why McLean moved back to New York. That's absolutely it. I hadn't figured that out. <laughs> I, I think I'm missing here. Like, you're, you know, the reason why they're in the trailer is this is the uh, spoof of like the Patsy Kensit, Mel Gibson sort of love scene. And it is shack on the beach. Except in this movie, it's an absolute palace. It's like on the inside, it looks like something out of Lawrence Arabia, like a harem tent. Uh, but actually, the jokes that made me laugh on this watch the most where this was this running gag where you have Estevez like cop like mourning the loss of somebody very very dear to him and of course in the movie Leaf Weapon it's his ex-wife Lynn Riggs uh, but there's a whole great sequence where he wicks the cocktail of like every booze and a bit of chocolate sauce like sits down to like weep looking at a picture and it's his dog called Claire and <laughs> the whole running gag that everybody he's talking about Claire and everybody thinks it's a human and like he's talking about her sniffling at his, co- his crotch and uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> licking licking his feet and he's just like because he's just giving him sideways glances the whole way through I thought that was genius <laughs> it is it is there's, there's no arguing with that it's actual genius and, and then Claire shows up at the end in yeah, like a I, really amazing moment emotional moment it was it's the best thing about the last 10 minutes definitely <laughs> I don't know. I think the sight of uh, Samuel L. Jackson headbanging to Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) (laughs) That moment at the end, I don't know if I'm missing something, but I I just thought that moment where they bring in Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, which is obviously spoofing Wayne's World, was completely (laughs) bizarre. In terms of, I was watching it being like, is there something else within this scene which I'm kind of missing? Or are they literally just doing the bit from Wayne's yeah, World. Yeah, no, that's probably just a case of Wayne's World being a hit movie from, like, a year ago and then going, like, yep, throw in one of those spoofs as well. Yeah, like, well, everyone yeah, will know right. what this is well, because the, we live in 1993. The of the film. Yeah, it is bizarre, though, because it's a comedy. You can't spoof a comedy, right? Yeah, I, mean, I was yes. waiting for it when, when, the, when the track kicks in. I was waiting for, like, the tape to break or the radio to change channel or something <laughs> to happen. But they yeah. do just straight up headbang to it. So, ha- having said all that, I still think it is a magical moment and one of the greatest moments of cinema that's ever been <laughs> put on film. It, it, is it the Beaver returning that makes it? That's a long pay- <laughs> setup and payoff. Yeah, Claire coming back. It's it's amazing. Uh, and it's the a Beaver joy. from the gratuitous Beaver shot. The yeah. Beaver as well. Yeah, there's, oh, there's a few that's... good gags about people reappearing in the back of cars because earlier when they're like, I think we're being followed. <laughs> there's people just in the back seat. <laughs> I will say this as well that considering we, there's a Lethal Weapon 2 big spoof of the moment where Riggs is with Patsy Kensett, Island is a better female lead than fucking Patsy Kensett. I'll say that right now. Yeah, only Patsy <laughs> Kensett can do a South African accent that, that, is, well, that is that authentic. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. I love, no the, uh, I love the toilet scene. Is that Lethal Weapon 2, the toilet scene? Yes. Yeah. 
What's yeah. wrong? And I, yeah. And okay. I just love that this Taking builds up, and then it's like, no, I'm just doing a shit, and that's the end of the scene. It's like, that's gold. <laughs> uh, yeah, only Jackson can deliver that that <laughs> well. That like, <laughs> I was going to say, that, the type uh, of humour in this film really must have struck a nerve with you, Paul, and I think, I think it makes sense when you say that, you know, your dad liked it a lot, because one thing that always stuck out for me, a memory I have, is I remember coming around your house once, I'm ringing the bell, and what, someone in your family let me in, and you came running down the stairs, and you said... I came as fast as I could, and then I came downstairs. <laughs> it feels like something straight out of this. Like, when they go, it'll only take a minute. Who told you that? <laughs> man, I, yeah, you came. That's personal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man, that, okay. Classics. Well, I mean, <laughs> I feel like we're just naming favourite lines from the film now, which is fine. Yeah, and my um, life, but apparently. Kind of... <laughs> yeah, so we'll <Wilson> original. <laughs> Uh, should we move on to final thoughts on the film? Yes, who, let's do who that. Would, who would like to kick us off? Go on, Matt. Matt I go on. had a really, had a really fun time with this. I hadn't seen it, and I know spoof movies can be very hit or miss. It tends to be acknowledged that ones from this period are stronger. You know, they stand up better. That generally the hit rate works. And I was hoping this would be more Naked Gun than one of the one of the worst ones. And for me, it, it really was. I think. This kind of blend of like visual humor and this unique position of like we've said, like being able to get A-list actors in roles like this, doing spoof roles of parts that they could easily have had themselves, uh, gives it a real boost. I think everyone's really great in it. I think Shatner's hilarious. The finale moment is a bit flat in there. It's kind of like there isn't one big either set piece or comedic set piece either. I quite like the bit where, you know, they're throwing endless stream of bad guys through a recurring plate glass window. That's great. And Tim Curry's final moments. But I think overall it really hits a lot. And I think seeing it at the time would have really made it stand out as well. I think when everything was a lot more current and as it was now, I think it's great that none of the things it spoofs or references is something that at the time was big and then just disappeared. Like it's all stuff that is pop culture gold, you know? I think it'd be interesting to see what kind of spoofs from like the mid noughties take random digs at maybe like pop music at the time, but now you're like, I've, I've no idea. Whereas here at least it's, yes, basic instinct. I understand that. And yeah, I think, I think it's really solid. I, I would give it, you know, three, three and a half, I think. Three and a half stars. Okay, mm -hmm. Paul. It's always been a favourite of mine. I, you know, I think it's the, the hit rate is is pretty pretty consistent the whole way through until about ten minutes from the end. I think it's just a shame that you get Estevez and Samuel Jackson split up. You know, Estevez takes on the uh, the bad guys on his own pretty much for most of the fight, and I just feel like it's you know you've got so much greatness going on between the two of them, and it's just a bit of a missed opportunity to kind of land it. And sadly, it's just a bit of a bit of a damp squib of an ending. But other than that, it's it's terrific. Uh, so I'm a good three stars, solid three stars. I, I think special props to our Star Trek alumni of the week, you know, who why we're, mm. why we're here. They all equip themselves brilliantly in this film. Especially yeah. Scotty. Especially yeah. Scotty. Especially, like, especially Scotty. Does a lot with, with the least. <laughs> okay, Nick, uh, do you want to give us your final thoughts and your star rating as well? Yeah, sure thing. Um, I I was so happy to revisit this film. I was I was worried that it wouldn't live up to my very fond memories. It's on twenty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which shook me a little. I was like, wow, okay. I thought it was more liked than that. Um, and it did get shook. absolutely terrible terrible reviews. It shook me to my core. But no, I I had a lot of fun watching this again. Uh, Tim Curry, incredible. He he disappears like he should have died and kept coming back. I thought they could have had a recurring <laughs> joke with that and just had a lot more curry. I don't know. I just saw on Twitter that people were. You know, a lot of people last night when I was talking about it were coming back and saying how much they love this film. And um, I think there's a lot of fondness for it out there. In short, four stars. 
Oh, Forced my official, my official verdict. Yeah, there's Excellent just too much, stuff. and it's just and it's crazy to me that this was number one at the box office, only for one weekend, and then ultimately it was a giant flop. <laughs> but for one, <laughs> well, for one, like for one glorious Price weekend, half as long. Quintana well, was on top. Mention this definitely because it, it was made for a budget of eight point two million, and the box office, and this is just the domestic box office. I should point out, it's one of those cases where. It's old enough that you can't get the worldwide stats, but just domestically, it made twenty-eight million. So to me, like wow. so I was looking on IMDb trivia, and the first one was like, "Oh, there was a sequel plan, but unfortunately, it underperformed at the box office." And I was like, "Wait a minute, twenty-eight million from an eight-point-two million budget? I wouldn't say that's underperforming. Like, even if you go, oh, double the budget for marketing that's still in the profit by like 12 plus million and that's just domestic it blatantly will have made more worldwide so yeah i, I don't really kind of see it as a surely it isn't a flop i think it's just that, that, that everybody's a star the next year so it's like yeah it's interesting i mean dan holly in his book calls it a, says it was basically you know he never worked again after it he never managed to sell another script and he describes it as being a financial uh you know failure so that is interesting actually i didn't i didn't look that up that sounds like a success to me but excuses nick <laughs> <laughs> he's like oh no one ever ever bought any of my scripts again because it was such a flop uh mr holly no one no one uh, yeah no they didn't <laughs> Yeah, maybe he's bitter. No, um, they didn't use the second half of its jokes, so he's just angry about that yeah, stuff. That was the problem. That was the problem. Um, <laughs> well, I think you're probably right, Paul. I think the fact that like, the next year Samuel L. Jackson's kind of career went into the stratosphere it is probably maybe yeah. you blatantly that his paycheck it. would have risen overnight. Yeah, it would have been eight point two million. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the entire budget. Um, well, so, yeah, like two years later, he was doing an actual Die Hard film rather than a spoof of a Die Hard film, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will say my final thoughts of the film. I liked it first time for me. Yeah, I mean, there, there's plenty of good gags in there. I wouldn't say it's, a, it's it's not a classic spoof for me. Kind of, you know, it's not up there with the naked guns of the world. But I think it's 100% got more than enough gags that hit in it to give it a kind of three stars easily uh yeah no it's, it's a good fun film in all honesty it probably is a better movie than police academy three or four which is you know that's that's saying a lot uh so you know genie was kind of it was a glow up for him and uh yeah three stars i, I definitely recommend it as a spoof of the uh, lethal weapon movies because now we can't watch the always sunny spoof anymore because it's problematic so literally now we can watch this instead well, did you notice that the uh, there's an always sunny like uh, connection in this film? I'd heard about this. Yes, but I didn't that's spot right. It. It's I was one of the locations, well. isn't it? That's right. Paddy's pub features in the film while the uh, the exterior of the building is uh, General uh, Mortar's like drug deal like den. It's the same building. Wow. <laughs> wow. I've got a final hot fact. Uh, this film was shot by the same cinematographer that did the New Mutants. Oh wow! And Twin, and Twin Peaks: The Return, a guy called Peter Deming. There we go. <laughs> He's got range. Wow. Wow. What? Very diverse. The, the same cinematographer as Twin Peaks: The Return. Yeah, he did Evil Dead Two. He did Twin Peaks: The Return. He did uh, New Mutants, and he did Loaded <laughs> National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon <laughs> oh, Part what One. What a career! It's <laughs> an amazing That's career. Amazing. That is a very eclectic. CV, He's not getting pigeonholed, is he? Like. <laughs> so yeah, good lighting in the interrogation scene. It's all down to Pete. Yeah, go Pete D. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, should also say it had a Robert Folk score as well. So that's another Police Academy connection, as he was the Police Academy 
composer. Oh, it does a great um, job yeah, of approximating so a... uh, the, the Leaf Weapon scores. Like, it really feels like it could be an unofficial fifth film. Yes, yeah, he totally gets that kind of... Because um, it's... it's Is it Clapton who does the... Yeah, Clapton uh, and Michael Kamen and one other, David Sanborn, I think. There was three who did it. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, very, yeah, very much got that kind of guitar licks kind of vibe. Okay, well, thanks so much for bringing this film to the podcast, Nick. Uh, really enjoyed You're most really fun. good fun mm-hmm. where can we find you online that people can see all your tweets about Loaded Weapon yeah there are many tweets about Loaded Weapon of late <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Nick Desemlian, and I'm on Instagram like once a month <laughs> but don't bother checking <laughs> it's, there's never anything good <laughs> pictures of my kid. amazing hey Nick that's the kind of content I'm here for personally <laughs> um, and obviously we can find your words on a regular basis in Empire Magazine available yep. from all good uh, shops that are currently open uh, and online as well I'm sure definitely uh, recommended support film magazines people during yeah. this time speak they to definitely... your news agent and ask them to yes. order a copy of it in mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah, you can, get it, to put it yeah, news agent's still open can't shut those yeah. you can, um, get on in there you can subscribe you can subscribe get it sent straight to your house yes do that yeah. do that then you never have to leave your abode again but yeah definitely you're still doing great work over there mate in the meantime while you know it's it's, it's difficult times at the end of the day but i think it's it's one of those things where i think it's really difficult with film magazines because obviously you know a, a big film magazine like empire and like kind of total film and those mags like, you know, obviously you're going to be focusing on the big new releases as kind of, you know, your cover stories and stuff like that. But I think what's been really probably good about this situation is of reminding everyone that there's over a hundred years of film available right now. And I think that's one thing that's been good for this year is everyone appreciating the kind of history of cinema that is there and actually going back and looking through the archives and kind of finding other movies that, like, you know, we may have forgotten and kind of seeing more archive cinema. And, you know, I think that's I think that's a good thing to remind people. And, you know, you've been doing a great job of that. Yeah. So you can find us at Spotlight Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can shoot us an email at spotlightpod at gmail.com. And obviously, uh, you're listening to us now already, but whatever podcast provider you are listening on, if there is the option to write a review or give us a five-star rating then please do, because we very much appreciate it. But until next time, we'll be back uh, with another episode of Spotlight focusing on some aspect of the Star Trek universe, be it as tangentially as the movies or an actual episode itself. And hopefully at some point, Nick, we'll get you back on. Well, could one thing, actually, before we go, Nick, between (laughs) this and when we last had you on, which was about... Uh, ooh, almost two years ago now, what have you seen of Star Trek in between? Because the last time you were on, it was oh. basically nothing, I think. And I think we assigned you some homework to watch some Star Trek. What Star Trek oh, have you seen no. in between? have gotten out of this. <laughs> this is public humiliation. I was hoping this wouldn't come up because you, you, <laughs> did. So you, you, you sent me this amazing list of stuff to watch and I have got the list. And I, I keep going on Netflix and I keep seeing how many fucking episodes of Star Trek <laughs> like the next generation there are. And I can't, I can't quite bring... Because I'm a bit of a completist. Like I like to work my way through something and it, it, right. it's, da- it's a daunting one, right? 
I don't. I decided I want to watch it all. Like I don't want to jump around. So that is a terrible way of saying I haven't seen much. I've seen. I've seen a couple of episodes, and I saw First Contact uh, earlier this year. But um. Oh, first, for the first time. Yeah, I hadn't seen it before. What did you make of First Contact? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. It's um. Yeah, I mean, I should again. I want to watch it all from the beginning, which is insane with Star Trek. You can't do it. It's like watching EastEnders from the beginning. Yeah, but I want to like. Completely. I felt like I didn't really have the context to fully appreciate it. But um, I need to listen to you guys got on it. Big action vibes in it, Nick. Yeah, the action was good. Very, very. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm, I, I'm slightly struggling to remember bits of it, but um, that's so they're on Earth. Yeah. Anyway, it's for another, <laughs> it's for another podcast. You don't need me trying to like but you recap watched it. Picard, didn't you? Yeah, I saw the first season of it. You didn't like it, I think. I didn't love it, no. I, I preferred Discovery. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. I preferred Discovery as well. Like, I think Picard was a kind of... Um, I mean, I liked it overall, and I'll definitely be watching more, but I did think it was a mixed bag. And the whole kind of ending where they killed him and then brought him back as a sort of synthet, I thought was all bollocks. But I wanted yes, more, I, I wanted more uh, on the vineyard, more more winemaking. Yes. More, yeah, yeah. yeah, I agree. Get I, all the back in, come on. on. We want number one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that first trailer was basically just him on the vineyard, kind of, you know, getting his bottles in. And I was like, well, if that, it, that should That's have been the show. Yeah, exactly, 100%. Yeah, right. it should have been like dinner for five with uh, with Captain Picard. Like, they're just basically, he gets, is it the whole season? It's like a dinner party of old friends, like from the seven years of the show. Turning yeah, up come dine with me with No sci-fi, no sci-fi at all. You just see occasional spaceship flying past in the window. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like Star Wars Special Edition out the window, that's about it. It's, uh... The funny thing is you say that, Paul, but that is true because our favourite episode, and I think everyone's favourite episode of that season was... The episode where they just completely stop doing anything and just go and visit Riker and Troy on that planet. And, and make all they do is, yeah, yeah all like, they do is hang out and chat, and that was everyone's favourite. So mate, that's I think it. You're right. I, all I want is Picard on Saturday Kitchen. That's basically my, my season two. <laughs> Saturday Space Kitchen. <laughs> there you go. There it is. That's the show. Right. Okay. Oh, I'm getting too old for this bike confiscating shit. Yeah.